The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 12 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm joined by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello. Morning. I shouldn't say that though because it could be another time of day when you're listening. Sorry. That's true. It creates a nice um, picture in the listener's uh, head though, doesn't it? You're picturing us of a morning with our coffee and, you know... You and your you and your sound booth. I know it's not very it's not very sort of picturesque, is it? Me surrounded by black foam. <laughs> Although I've got my disco lights going. Do you also, do you get do you ever watch podcasts? You know that. That's no, the thing I never that... do. Well, have we had this conversation on here? No, I, I, I keep don't having think this conversation so. with people. So when Alistair Wallace and I were at the podcast show, one of the the mind blowing statistics I came away with is that apparently at the moment fifty percent of all podcast listening happens on YouTube. Does it? Right. right. Which causes deep horror to a lot of podcasters because part of the joy of this mm-hmm. is that you're not having to think about what you're looking like. Yeah. yeah. Or, or not, you're not having to perform to camera, is what I mean by that. You know. Yeah. We're not on YouTube. Not yet, Neil. Is there, is there a reason why we wouldn't go on YouTube? Well, no, there's not. Except that we've been... Well, I think, actually, aside from the vanity issues, the, the, part of the... the kickback against that from content producers is you've got to actually up your production values uh-huh. mm. so at the moment i'm not sure that people would want to look at what we're looking at which is the three of us on separate screens yep with pop shields with pop shields <laughs> blocking our faces so so really you know the podcasts that that i well I, I mean, i'm talking off the top of my head here i don't really know because I don't, I don't watch podcasts but i would imagine the ones that are quite appealing to watch are the ones where they're sitting in the studio round a table which we could arrange because we used to do that. We used to. I read. I read about a research um, about children listening to podcasts, mm. and one of the things that they said was really helped. They liked listening to podcasts was that it helped their imagination. Yes. Mm. And I wonder if you lose that if you're having to sit and look. If you're looking at the people who are talking, yeah. there's something about just listening. I find that even. I mean, I don't want to sound like an old person or something, but I find that even with the news, I pay far more attention <laughs> to the news on the radio than yeah. if I'm watching it. Because mm-hmm. I start, you know, thinking about what the person's wearing or the camera angles. Or This is about to sound really bad, this next sentence. As those of us who have worked in radio and television know... Yes, Neil. <laughs> ...that it's what you can say on radio is far more sophisticated and complex than what you can say on TV. Uh, you know, that. We've been in meetings where people have said, you can't say this because it's the telly and you have to make it much simpler. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. there's something about the visual medium which almost simplifies the content, yeah. doesn't it? I, and it's also the joy of radio drama. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm a big fan of radio drama, but it's because you can picture it in your head. Yeah. yeah. Maybe our listeners would like to see what they think about that's visual. A, that's a very good shout, Jen. That's actually a really good shout for correspondence. So we 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 have asked already about other podcasts but yeah interested in that kind of visual audio discussion and I'm quite interested in you know getting some more correspondence because this week we don't have very much <laughs> we, we had that uh, flurry didn't we but we've got a note this week just from regular correspondent Elizabeth she's the only person I've heard from actually um, she writes actually that she's only just realised that the three of us are back and um, oh. she listens via the Podbean app so Podbean is the platform that we use to post this um, and Elizabeth, I suspect you're probably quite unusual. I don't think there's all that many people listen that way. A lot of people listen on other platforms. Um, but she hadn't had any notifications, so she wasn't aware that we were we were back. Not a lot we can do about that, I don't think, um, other than just maybe it's a good reminder to everybody uh, listening that word of mouth is actually a really good way to let people know about mm. um, podcasts. So if you are a keen listener, you enjoy listening to what we have to say, or maybe you don't enjoy it, but it's, you know, causing you to think <laughs> then why not um, suggest it to somebody else pass on a link to somebody um, we would love you to do that that's a good intro for the passage uh, passing on by word of mouth it is I would like to say that I'd thought that through when I was writing the script but really didn't too near the holidays to be thinking at that level of complexity deal. now don't forget though there is also a whole back catalogue of episodes to catch up on if you've not been with us from the start so if you're looking for some holiday listening um Although I'm slightly, I'm slightly wary to recommend it, really, because sometimes I listen back to old episodes and think, oh, gosh, I've come a long way. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Right. I think and we're better at listening. 
Is that really Neil you're better at listening? No. Oh, <laughs> interesting that that's how you heard that, isn't no, it? No, no, because I know I'm... Well, we just had a thing <laughs> when we were preparing where twice I obviously hadn't listened to you properly. So I'm probably feeling quite... <laughs> I think we are better at listening. I think we're also better at our microphone technique. <laughs> I think that of other people's podcasts as well, though. Sometimes I go way back to the start and I think, oh, yeah. this, the quality of this just isn't as good as it is now. Yeah, that's true. That is very true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's like watching the first season of Friends. Oh, yes. Yes. Or any, yes, anything like that, actually, often the first seasons. yeah. They haven't worked out who they were. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, it is time for Glover's Others. So we've heard about Bilha, Jethro, Aaron, Balaam, Joshua, Rahab, Jetha's daughter, Palmoni Almoni, Obedidom... <laughs> And last time, Hagar. Now, can I just, before we introduce this whole um, segment, Neil, for the benefit of listeners, I, when I was listening back to the last episode, I suddenly got a bit confused about what you're doing. So so we had the competition. Yep. To, and, we, and what you were doing at that point is you were introducing characters chronologically by book through yep. the Bible. Yep. Last time you said with Hagar, I'm introducing a new level of competition. So, so can you just articulate a wee bit more? So we're not still going through the books. We're not going through the books anymore. We have there is a new sequence, and the sequence began with Hagar. So she is the first person in the new sequence, and all the people in this new sequence of folk have there is something in common to their stories. And if you can guess what that is, there'll be a new prize. Oh, lovely! And uh, no doubt, over the weeks to come, we will introduce you to what that prize might be. We need to work out of it. Yeah, once once we think of once actually we've delivered on the last prize. So once yeah, Andrew Robertson has had a half hour drive with Elaine Duncan. Yeah. Then and his signed copy of Love, Death and Re- Resurrection. Yeah. yeah. But I just I wanted to keep the element of competition because I thought that I like was that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yes, and, and sorry, I feel like maybe it's my fault. I wasn't listening properly last episode because I didn't quite pick up last time. That it was a it was a shift in the competition. Oh, so I didn't explain it to, properly. Yeah, no, no, no. It was me. It was my listening. So anyway, for the benefit of listeners, that new there's a there's a new game afoot, and basically we'd love to hear from you if you can spot the connection with Hagar and whoever comes next. So in the meantime, who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glovers, others, B-list characters you really don't want to miss. Who's next? So it's three this time. It's three characters. It's Joshua Bashabeth. It is Eliezer, son of Dodo. And it is Shama, son of Agi the Hararite. And you'll find them in 2 Samuel 23. And they are what are called the three. They're like David's three musketeers. Remember, there's, I don't know if you remember this, there's a three and there's a 30 and all these kind of, kind of heroic figures. These are the three. And what they do is David is camped out round about Bethlehem. The Philistines are in Bethlehem. They're the enemy. And David remembers back to his youth and he says, oh, that I could drink some water from the well of Bethlehem. So the three catch wind of this and they think, oh, wouldn't that be a nice surprise? So they sneak through the Philistine lines. They get some water from the well of Bethlehem. They bring it back to David. And and you can see the scene. They say, isn't it? Amazing, David, you would have loved this war. Guess what we've done for you? And they they hand him the vial of water. And what does David do? He pours it out on the ground, right in front of him. And he says, far be it from me that I could drink this water that has been obtained at such risk. I will, I could, I, almost to drink it would be to dishonor the sacrifice of these these men. And I find that one of these is such an intriguing story. How would those three have felt when they they had that done? It's like um, everybody's clubbed in to get somebody a prize as a retirement gift and they say, oh, how could I possibly accept this or something like that? Smash the carriage clock. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like that. But what it points to is that everything has a value which isn't just about the the function of the thing that you are receiving, it is about the cost of those who worked to get it to you. And I think then about all the things that we have and the value that they have, because I'm looking at a row of books here, people have laboured and edited 
those books or the the value that our food has because it has come from from many different countries the the value that our uh, parks have i'm looking out my park at the moment because people have labored that for many years this this story i think asks us what did it cost someone to get you the thing that you're now mm. holding in your hands that is an inherent part of its value so those are Glover's others today. They're the, the mighty three, and they're the ones who got the water from Bethlehem, which David poured out. Second Samuel chapter 23. Oh, I love that. The provenance of things. Well, not just the provenance, but the but the, the provenance of the labour and so on. Yeah, yeah. It's got quite a dark seam to it when you begin to think about that, doesn't it? In terms of, you know, so much that we take for granted that has come in nefarious ways to us. Thinking about, you know, modern slavery and so on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The slavery cost. You know, if if we pray the prayer, Lord, give us our daily bread, then that shows that God is not only interested in getting us the bread, but also God is interested in the process by which that yeah. bread came to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a whole spin-off podcast series, Neil, where we could talk about all this. <laughs> what would the theme be? Well, yeah. just just I I'm just fascinated by that whole topic of of. Mm. I feel I'm just much more engaged with thinking about where my food comes from, where my yeah, what I buy and what you know the quality of what I buy, and, and thinking more about the the provenance of it and all that sort of stuff. Yesterday I was thinking about the fact that I've started getting a local veg um, box, a uh-huh. local veg box scheme. So my most of what I've eaten in the last week, to be honest, has been grown in the east end of Glasgow. Uh-huh. And I was kind of thinking about the fact that for years I wouldn't have eaten anything grown in the east end of Glasgow, yeah. but now I can eat yeah. things from my own garden. I mean. I can't live off it, <laughs> but you know, and I'm, I'm connected with this garden scheme, and I, and I just feel quite—I don't mean that I feel good about myself for doing that, but I think it's probably quite important to eat as locally as I can. Yeah, yeah. Do you become? I I find quite often people um, give us things that they've made or got in their gardens, and I hate this is a real confession here. I'm sometimes hesitant to eat it because I don't think it's been through all the the lovely sanitizing cleaning processes that yeah. that the supermarket has. They don't have a sell by date. Yes, and yet, and, uh, yes. And then isn't that an interesting topic though? Because because mm. when we're starting to think about processed food and so on, mm-hmm. and that's a big debate at the moment. Yeah. What we think of as healthy is actually possibly not health, healthy at all. Yeah. For the planet, for us, for other people. That's my spin-off podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as if you have enough podcasts. I know. I'll be, well, actually, I've got a bit quiet on my other two. Um, I'll be hosting that on YouTube. Uh, right. <laughs> Listen, thank you very much. So we're, we're looking for the connection. So that's Rahab and the three. I'm, yeah. All I've got in my head is Fibonacci sequence at the moment, but that's not. <laughs> I told you that story, didn't I? <laughs> you did, yeah. That was it. For those of you who don't know, that was a, a local person. Did, it, did we tell it on the podcast? I don't think I we did. I can't remember, Neil. It was a local person. It's quite sad. He he died, but one of the stories that people remembered about him was he used to leave fake molehills on his neighbour's lawn uh, when he was walking past the garden on the way to the pub. And uh, the, both people who were doing it were quite mathematical. And when Pat was eventually caught... He said to Al, who caught him, oh, I thought you'd work it out because I was leaving them in the Fibonacci sequence. <laughs> I can't remember if you told it on the podcast, but it's worth retelling, isn't it? Because that's just a very niche story. Anyway, thank you. So last time we talked about Stephen, and today mm. we move on into Acts chapter 8. It might be interesting to, to talk maybe about the parallels with Stephen and Philip, who we meet in Acts chapter 8. Um, but now is the time to pause and read or listen to the chapter if you haven't done that for a little while, and then we'll pick up again. Can we start talking about where we left off so uh, well actually i can ask you one one question or make an an observation it seems to me that verse one of chapter eight is the most ill-placed verse break Mm. yeah in scripture so we left it on that sentence in the niv and paul and saul approved of their killing him but that's actually part of chapter eight but maybe that's deliberate do you think it's deliberate well i hope it is Mm-hmm. Hope it's not just a mistake, <laughs> but um, it does seem oddly placed, doesn't it? But it, in a way, it launches us in to the great persecution, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I suppose mm-hmm. that because Saul in verse three um, begins to destroy the church, so there is other. It's not just him that's causing the great persecution, but uh, he was there approving, and now he's destroying the church. It seems quite a big leap, but maybe not. <laughs> Uh-huh. No, no I, I agree. It always does, doesn't it? Because when he's on, when Stephen's murdered, he he's so indirect. He, he 
he's not leading the crowd. He's not even part of the crowd. He's just holding the coats of the crowd. And then suddenly you jump from that to this kind of frenzied. I mean, the, the language that's used there, um, commentators have often pointed out, is the language that's used of a wild animal. And and there's something something quite demented about Saul that he suddenly goes from this kind of approving bystander to this crazy man. I suppose none of us do, though, do we? You know, we think he's just being passive, but it's all inside, mm. all the thoughts, uh-huh. all the planning, all the musing over things, all the conversations with people. I'm imagining this. It's yeah. all there, but now is his moment mm. to act upon it all. Because, you know, do any of us really switch suddenly uh-huh. into being manic about something or is it all, it's all been building up? Yeah. Not so, I, I've been thinking seen. about this quite a lot because I've been writing some stuff on acts and and I think it's a kind of confirmation bias thing, isn't it? I, I, I imagine that he's standing and he's listening, he's observing, and as far as he's concerned, as as a, the, the, with the zealousness that he has, the zeal that he has, mm-hmm. Stephen is absolutely speaking against what he thinks is yeah. truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. so it does it does rile him up to that point of of fury and determination to stamp it out. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not saying he's right to do that, but I I think I have a level of understanding of how that could happen because he really believes it to be true. He really yeah. believes to be true. Uh huh. Yeah. This is what must happen. Okay, so here's a question, though. Do you think he really believes, or do you think he's running away from his fear that it might be true? It's Do almost those two that, things not coexist? Well, I suppose, he, as opposed to someone who truly, in every single fibre of their being, believes that, that Stephen is wrong, I think if someone who's like that would have a... They wouldn't be as frenzied. I, I'm trying to think, you know, whenever you meet people... When all sorts of situations, when they become incredibly angry about something, what they're actually doing is sometimes they're frightened that the thing they're angry about is is true. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably yeah. true. I mean, I, I like to feel I've got some skin in this game as somebody who my parents, particularly my mother, will say, "You could argue black is white and convince people of it." <laughs> when I hold to something, mm-hmm. it can be utterly wrong, but I can argue it, Do and you that, know that gets that me into wrong. trouble at points. When you're arguing, sometimes, it. sometimes, and sometimes even in the arguing of it, I'm working it out. Uh-huh. But I probably come across as a lot more definite than I, I hide it well. By the way, I don't bring it to this podcast. It's really just in our family conversation. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that's not a side of you that I. Well, no, because I have seen. actually had to work on this over the years, to be honest. Uh-huh. And is it more than is it more more than just fear that it might be true, but the fear that he could be a Stephen. Mm. Yes. That actually he, he part, there's part of him that might actually want to follow Jesus. And and as we discover, <laughs> that part, he's not wrong to think that. He's not uh-huh. wrong to think he'll become a Stephen. Uh-huh. He's not wrong to yeah. think this is... Yeah. That's fascinating, isn't it? That... It, it? It is, and it also plays into the conversation I suspect we'll have next time, which is about the conversion of Saul. Mm. Which is, and I, 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 for a long time I've thought about this, that, that it's not just, it, obviously it's a dramatic conversion, but it's not just that, is it? It's, it's all that has gone before. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's process, isn't it? Including standing, watching, watching. Stephen mm-hmm. dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seeing Stephen's face that we talked about last yeah. time. Yeah, mm-hmm. the way he died. Mm-hmm. But, but mm-hmm. almost at the moment, he's fighting against it so uh-huh. hard that... Yeah, it's, it's almost, if people are fascinating, isn't it? That almost the subconscious knows something that he doesn't. Aha, aha. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so that's that's where we, we kind of come in at this. And it, it, Jen, you pointed out, before we before we hit the, the record button, you pointed out something um, which was about the apostles staying in Jerusalem. So the, yeah, the godly I mean, I, men bury Stephen. Everybody is scattered, but actually the apostles are left. Yeah, all everybody, all all except the apostles were scattered, and I was wondering why. <laughs> why did the apostles stay and everybody else is gone? And then I was reading some stuff, and it seemed to indicate that it was easier for the Hebraic Jewish Christians to stay than it was for the Hellenistic. Which was interesting. Those were the the two groups that were having the argument about the 
the people mm. that needed the food, wasn't mm. it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so they came up in the last podcast. It was easier for them to stay, and so it was. So that would be the apostles, Hebraic Jews, and then the other the others had to leave. I mean, but I still don't understand why. I, I didn't really. I couldn't really find out why that was you, the case. You would have thought they would be less safe rather than yeah. they. They would be the first people that needed to leave. And what was the difference between those two groups again? I mean, what? Oh, they... it, it's to do with language, isn't it? It's to do with oh, yeah. Greek speaking and yeah. Nobody's quite sure. Uh-huh. So yeah. outwardly, maybe I don't know. Outwardly, they they looked and spoke and fitted in still to the mm-hmm. the Jewish culture, whereas the Hellenistic Jews already were were different. So mm-hmm. being being followers of Jesus made them even more different. So they really had to go. Yeah. Yes. Yes, well, the, the problem with that, blend. Mm-hmm. the the problem with that though, is it doesn't say all. It doesn't say all except the the Hebraic Jews stayed. It says all except uh-huh. the apostles. So there were, yeah. must have been Hebraic Jews yeah. as well who had to flee. Yeah, There's yeah. something about I don't know. It seems like they've almost got some kind of protected status or, or something. The apostles, like yeah, 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 yeah. Because you wouldn't you wouldn't think oh, we're we're just, oh that's fine. We don't need to go, so we won't bother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, oh, we'll just stay here. It's nicer here. I mean, I'm sure it was hard to stay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh-huh. it, it's it's more complex than yeah. It's not that they were hard taking the easy road. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. And sorry, I feel I'm prompting you, Jen. You also had a comment about the godly men. <laughs> <laughs> the things I say before the podcast. Maybe we should just record and not yeah, have a conversation. Pre- pre-record because you're always really interesting in that. Pre- no, <laughs> you're also interesting in this. But you were also saying about the godly men in verse two. Well, I love that turn of phrase, and I was wondering for. I was maturely, but they were all godly people, you know, who who would have buried, who would want to bury um, Stephen. But it was the same. This phrase used apparently is the same one that was used for the Jewish people at Pentecost who responded to the message. Mm-hmm. It's the same phrase used for Simeon in the temple when he uh, takes Jesus in his arms, and it will be used again for Anan- Ananias of Damascus, who will meet Paul in well, it's his house, isn't it? That. Paul has to go to when he's after he's converted, and I, th- I think the the point of that was that it was like Jew- these are Jewish people who are open. They're maybe not followers of Jesus, but they're open to this new message. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if those were the godly men, were they that they were they weren't they weren't yet following Jesus, but they they knew that Stephen was was right, or that they, they, uh-huh. they respected him and they mourned for him. Uh-huh. And I want you know was that because they were then thinking oh all that stuff he said in that last sermon you know about the temple and everything is that right I did yeah again so again it kind of ties into the the thing about the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews and who had to leave and who didn't it's not just clear-cut isn't it the here's Jesus followers and here's the non-Jesus followers but it's a mix of lots of people responding to what's going on can I can we also say that in that conversation which we had before here i know i know it sounds like a brilliant conversation that we've not recorded it it, it, it was a good conversation but um that jen solved a mystery that has has niggled at me for for many years in my reading of acts which is i could not understand why everybody was so definite that the philip that we're about to meet in the rest of the chapter is the philip of the seven who's the ones who sorry at the tables in Acts chapter six, and not the Philip the apostle. How how could everybody be so definite? And then Jen said, oh, "You're not wanting to say it now." No, Jen, she's are not, you? She's not, I, know. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it. All right, yeah, but but then, well, I was <laughs> wanting to give you the credit because the apostles stayed. The they apostles stayed, stayed in Jerusalem. So, yeah. so they were. So it's Philip the the seven, not Philip the apostle, and that's why. And and we don't know all that much about this Philip, do we? He, he's one. He is one of the seven. So he's like Stephen. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was one of the ones chosen to um, kind of, I suppose, be the, the kind of deacons, wasn't he? Uh, we hear about him later on, yeah, about his four daughters who are... Four unmarried daughters who have the gift of prophecy. Prophecy, yeah. I, I, apart from that, is this, is this pretty much it then, this chapter? Yeah. Yes, He's a fascinating uh, character, considering we don't know much about him. What a great story that was left behind what? about him, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like just him. seems very adventuring mm-hmm. doesn't he and sort of open to where the holy spirit would lead him really yeah and, al- yeah. and although they might wonder why the apostles stayed behind i think i'd rather be rather be philip oh yeah uh-huh. yeah out uh-huh. there 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and there is that sense of out there, Jen, isn't there? Because he, he, he doesn't just, you know, go somewhere where he can hide out for a while mm. until it's safe. He goes he goes off to Samaria. So there's a kind of right, I'm I'm going and I've got this message and I'm taking the message. So there is the, the conversation, isn't there, about you know what, what the enemy means for harm in terms of persecution mm-hmm. actually precipitates the growth of the the yeah. kingdom. And um, it's so positive, yeah. isn't it? His, uh-huh. his arrival in Samaria. I mean, everything everything's going well. You know, they, they all paid close attention to him, and people were being healed, and and there was great joy in the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to be taken away from all that, but maybe we'll come to that later. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's and and this was the shock is, is this is a Samaritan city. So once uh-huh. again, we forget what is. Because the word Samaritan now in our language has become someone who's good and helpful, um, yeah, people hated it. it they were so far off. But what I what I love and oh, this is probably as close to my vision for parish ministry as you get. I'm just passionate about the idea about the church going to the places where the people don't think the church would normally go. And yesterday, I was at the supermarket, parked in, and I noticed that next to me was a pickup truck and in the pickup truck was um, a guy in our town who um, he's had a tough life he would probably never ever go near a church but he and I get on pretty well with each other we went hill walking with a group a few weeks ago and I was talking to him Um, he'd been dry stone diking and then the rain had come on and he said it was a nightmare once the rain comes on Mm -hmm. but he's he's rough as but he and I we're, we're in this group hill walking and we both discovered we both love running downhill. So the, the group were up the back and the two of us just bombed down and we ended up chatting to each other and sitting by a lock and then he told me about fly fishing. But I just thought to myself, I would love it if you became part of the church. Mm-hmm. And probably you've grown up thinking, not in a million years would I ever end up in the church. Um, so yeah, he's a he's, he's a guy who's had a, a tough time uh He's had illness when he was young. His family environment has been really troubling to him uh, the last few years. He's really suffered. And yet, I just, oh. yeah, and Philip has that. He's like, yay, we're going to, does he, does Philip choose to go to the the Samaritans or is he sent there? He just seems just to go. He went, yeah, he just went down to a city. And yeah, and, and it, I wonder if what we just said about, you know, him being slight, because he was a Hellenistic Jew, mm. now a Christian not don't use that word. I'm using that word. Um, that that kind of being slightly off from the mainstream religion yeah. helped mm-hmm. him connect with the Samaritans and helped the Samaritans connect to him because they've got a kind of shared all that stuff. Stephen said about the temple. They've got that kind of shared uh-huh. opinion, haven't they? That it, it is not the mainstream view yeah. of the temple, and mm-hmm. maybe that brought connection and an ability for the crowds to gather. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Yeah. Yeah, and something I was reading as well, and again I can't remember where where I read it, but it was about Peter and John who you know are then sent down to to Samaria to see what's going on, um, and the commentator was saying there was an irony to John being sent because he's the one who in Luke, what was it twin nine Luke ten is it Luke nine Luke nine. Luke nine twenty four isn't it where he he wants Jesus to call down fire on the mm-hmm. Samaritans, <laughs> and here you know a few months later here he is. He's a. Uh... <laughs> I'd love, I mean, this is going too far, but I'd love that he walked past the actual village that he'd wanted to burn down and gone, oh, pretty glad I didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this this chapter also makes me think about the Samaritan woman at the well Mm -hmm. and, you know, that thing where she goes back to her village and many people follow Jesus. And you kind of wonder where that fits with with some of this. So some of the understanding Mm. that they already have of Jesus is there a receptiveness to what Philip has to say? they were already talking about and then mm-hmm. here comes Philip mm-hmm. and he's talking about the Messiah and they're like, oh, we met him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and exactly. maybe they'd thought that was it. You know, no, he'd, no, there had been change in their lives. We, we don't know how much connection they had with Jesus after that. But maybe they thought now he was, if they'd heard he was dead and that was it. Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. Do you think yeah. as well, I was thinking there's, there's three Samaritans in the Bible, isn't there? There's the Good Samaritan, the Sumerian woman, and then there's these people here. I mean, it's more than three, obviously. It's three incidents. Um, but then there's a fourth. There's a the bit where Jesus says, I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. 
Mm, I wonder uh-huh. if Philip had remembered that and gone, yeah. come on, people, we haven't done that bit yet. Uh, we yeah. need to do, we need well, to do that Well, we've been chucked out of Judea, so let's, Now's the chance. let's go to the next bit. But I wonder if he'd, if he'd remembered, he, and he almost had that kind of, almost it planted a seed in him. Mm. So when you said that, Fiona, was he sent? And I said, oh, no, no, he just went. Uh-huh. And Jesus had sent him. Uh-huh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, it's all going well. There's this verse seven there. There's there's healing happening. There are spirits being driven out of people. There's great joy happening in the city. And then we have this encounter with Simon. Mm. Now, in the NIV, it's titled Simon the Sorcerer. I think there's a kind of notion that he would have been somebody who practiced, well, it says here, practiced sorcery, doesn't he? So he's he's mm-hmm. kind of got powers at work mm-hmm. through him. And there is this encounter that, again, it slightly speaks, doesn't it, to the Ananias and Sapphira encounter that we we already talked about so he wants to have this power yeah the holy spirit yes and he gets and he does first of all he gets converted doesn't he so there's two stages he believes and then what's what's really big part of this story of course is this idea that you have a group of people um who believe but don't have the holy spirit i'm sure we might be coming back to that in a wee minute Mm -hmm. then he suddenly sees the holy spirit and goes i want this now what's really amazing about that is Philip has already been driving out the unclean spirits and has been possessed and so on. Um, Peter and John have come down and given the spirit free to people. So what's he playing at that he thinks, I need to buy this? Is it is it because he has always associated power with money? I, I don't, because he, he knows that people have had this and not paid for it. And is there something, like in verse 11, everybody's the other people start following um, Philip, mm-hmm. and they all start they all start believing in Jesus, and it's then that Simon believes and, be, and is baptized. So it's his whole reason from the start. Well, all the people who are following me are now following him, so mm. I need to follow him. So he's got this kind of twisted reason for being involved yeah. in the first place. So then that just comes out more and more, um, you know, with the money thing. But you're right. Yeah, why did he think he needed to do that when? Philip Evelyn was doing it without yeah. money. Well, well, does that speak to a, yeah. a, a fundamental misunderstanding in the first place? This takes me to a really strange memory, but I mean, it speaks to all of us. When I was uh, in primary school, from pre one to three, I was in a small village school. Um, the teacher was horrible. I mean, she was famously horrible to the extent that she was removed. Um, uh, she also, um, I mean, there's looking back, there was clearly something wrong with her. She used to move the classroom around all the time and then not tell you where she put the stuff and then give you into trouble. Um, I, I spent seven, well, felt days in the corner of a classroom trying to skip properly to because you had to measure the length of a skip for a maths sheet and she wouldn't tell me. So I just stood there jumping like an idiot and occasionally she'd come up and go, that's not a skip. Oh um, and I could tell you all sorts of stories about her. Anyway, the point being, she was a member of the church. <laughs> she was a member of my dad's church. She was a Sunday school teacher. People become members of the church for, and I've often thought, why was she a member of the church? And she was also a cup leader as well. And I, I think the only reason is that people join these things for all sorts of weird, twisted reasons that even they themselves don't quite know. Yes. Yeah. Do you not think? Do you not think that? Counterfeit, counterfeit, funny mm-hmm. word. Yeah. Uh, responses to Jesus are, are always part of Jesus being known or being yes. preached mm. or discovered. You know, you're always going to get people who, who, tr- who, what's truly, but you know, who really, who really are giving their life to Jesus, and you know, this is this is what they want, what they believe, and then in amongst that, there'll always be people who just kind of find themselves there or. Are in it for the wrong reasons, or and, and very sadly in it for really, really bad reasons. You like know, wolves among sheep, for example. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, it's part it's, of life. It's part yeah. of it's part of what Jesus talks about as well, isn't it? Yeah. I I think as well the thing that strikes me is that it's not always obvious. I think we I think maybe me and my arrogance I like to think oh well I would spot a counter counterfeit easily. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, you know, it's the sheep and the goats, isn't it? The wheat and the tares that that. We're in about it and we don't always see. Do you know what would be my tell is he stayed constantly with Philip? Uh-huh. That, that sometimes you get people in churches who cling a bit too close to you. 
Mm. And and that's often a sign. Um, uh-huh. I remember once a, a minister in our training told the story of um, he'd arrived in a new church and a, they arrived in the manse, the new house, and there were gifts and there were very, very lavish flowers, which were very specifically from one family. And he said, that family made my life a torment for mm-hmm. for the time that I was in the church. And then when once when, when we moved to a church, uh, that and I remember there was a gift that was given to us, which was a coffee machine, which was allegedly from uh, one of the groups in the church, but it turned out it was from this this couple, a mother and our daughter. And um, yeah, that that was not an easy relationship. Uh, there's something about clinginess and 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 yeah, that that's a tell. I think it makes you wear. Yeah, and, and I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because what what do we know about Simon in verse ten? People have said about him, this man is rightly called the great power of God. Mm-hmm. So there's something about power mm-hmm. for Simon, isn't there? Yeah. That, that's but the, yeah. how he's named, but maybe also how he relates to and people. He's, and he's losing it. Yes. He's not yeah. losing, I mean, yes. he's losing it. I mean, he's losing the power uh-huh. because he knows that everybody's following Philip. But then there's something strange going on as well, isn't there, that none of these new believers had received the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then, so let's delve into that. Yeah, let, let's talk about that because it's quite controversial, isn't it, this chapter? Howard Marshall says it, the, the great scholar of Acts said it was the strangest verse in the whole of Acts because mm. he couldn't, he because his whole theology, I, I, I mean, people probably listening to this would have known Howard Marshall better than I did, but um, they, um, well, I'd, I'd only been in a seminar with him, that makes him sound like I knew him at all, but he wrote the great commentary on Luke. Um, he he would have believed that you received the Holy Spirit at the point at which you believed. And there are verses, in, for example, in Ephesians that point very much towards that. This appears to be something else different, that the point of receiving the Holy Spirit is different from the point of believing. Um, whereas I think those uh, parts of the church, and this is where I'm looking for a bit of help here, which would emphasize things like uh, baptism in the Spirit or second blessing or so on, this would be a key text, I think. Yeah, it? yeah, I think amongst Pentecostal movement, mm-hmm. particularly that, yeah, this idea that there's a second, mm-hmm. a second baptism of the spirit. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like Peter and John have to come and sort it out, and maybe they weren't arriving to do the, to do the sorting out. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. But when they got there, they discovered this as if this should have happened. It just feels a wee bit like that. There's uh-huh. this, it should have happened, but it hasn't, and they have to do the praying. That's what makes it even more odd. You know, like, did Philip get it wrong? Did Was Philip too inexperienced? I don't like that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why? And it's not repeated again. Like, we don't... Well, come on. You know, the other conversions in um, in Acts, it's not, it's not mentioned. Uh-huh. You know, it, just, it doesn't seem yes, to and be if anything the later, Yeah, if anything later on, it's a baptism of John that's mentioned, isn't it? So it's, a, it's that baptism of repentance. Yeah. John the Baptist... Um, baptism, uh, and, and then an understanding of who Jesus is. So it's a different, it's a different thing, isn't it? When you encounter, is it to do with their apostolic office? It, it feels like that, doesn't it? Certainly at this point. Um, certainly that's in verse eighteen. It says, "Now when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was giving given through the laying on of the apostles' yeah. hands, mm-hmm. he offered them money." So at the very least, in the eyes of Simon, that's what he thinks. But Luke seems to be narrating this. Maybe it's. I mean, one of the things I went to is very often when something's starting, different sorts of rules apply from when you're further down the road. And maybe in the early days of the church, that's how the Holy Spirit was given, but later on it changed. And that's me speculating. Yeah. And it's interesting, I hadn't noticed that it was Simon. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given from the apostles' hands, Mm -hmm. he offered them money. So it wasn't Philip that he was offering the money to. It's almost like... He'd he'd found Philip. He's obsessed with Philip, and then suddenly, I don't know the the superstars appear, and now he's like switched to them. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I don't like him very much. I, this is it harsh. Yeah, I don't like him very much. Simon, oh, I he's, think that's fair. I think that's there's fair. something a bit oily about him. Uh, something a bit oily about him. It's sad as well, isn't it? Because mm. Peter gives him a very direct description of what he needs to do uh-huh. to sort it out. See, yeah. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Mm. Repent this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you. And then he just says, oh, pray to the Lord so nothing you've said may happen to me. He just wants to avoid the 
horrible things. But that that to yeah. me, yeah, and that to me indicates that he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't been converted. He hasn't understood it. No, doesn't know Jesus. Although, it's, well, it Jesus. says Simon himself yeah. believed, though. I mean, that's the text. But mm. but people can believe in God and not know Jesus. I think. Mm. Yeah. And I'm not. And I'm not trying to make the text fit something. I think I'm. I think I'm just not convinced that Simon was really, ever truly. There, yeah. which, which which to me makes sense of the you know the the, the conversation about Ananias and Sapphira, mm. where it was such a phew, harsh judgment. Mm -hmm. But Peter seems to he, here to be more gracious yeah. towards him. But I I wonder if it's because he is by dint of. He's an outsider still. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's still yes, opportunity yes. to repent within that, isn't there? Yeah. I, yeah, and I think you're right. You know, it's, it's, you can believe, but not of that change of heart. So change of heart. That's a pounding organ in your chest. But you know, a change <laughs> of um, your whole inner being. You know, it, it, the forgiveness, the peace, the joy that comes from just giving yourself to Jesus. Yeah. I think that's what's missing, and that's what Peter's indicating. You need, mm -hmm. you need to repent, you need to turn uh -huh. around, you need to change, you need to go with Jesus. That's different from believing. And, and once again, money is a common factor here, as with yeah. the Ananias and Sapphira story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Money has this power which we often play down. We, we, we're too quick to say, oh, if you have the money, you're blessed. We, we do say that in Christian, we, we don't say it in Christian circles, we, we imply it because we venerate very often the people who are wealthy. Yeah. Um, but no, once again, money is, as mm. with somebody this morning earlier, and that person has a lot of wealth, but they were just telling me, well, they were telling me two very painful stories in which wealth had caused huge destruction in, in the people around them. It, yeah. It's mm. such a destructive yeah. power. It is a power, isn't it? I know, I know. So have we landed the the discussion about the bapt second baptism baptism in the spirit no I mean... we moved on from <laughs> did we solve I, I feel can I just say I don't know if it's just my naivety but I often feel with these kind of things that become hugely contentious mm. I'm okay with the not quite knowing I'm alright with that I'm alright with the fact that you can be baptised you can become a Christian and I genuinely believe that the Holy Spirit comes and does a work in you in that moment of conversion but you can also then have a, a a more openness to the spirit at a later point you can whether you want to call that a baptism or call that something do you know what i mean it, yeah just chill that's what i say <laughs> <laughs> and keep asking the holy spirit to fill you <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. i mean it's a bit like the cessationist conversation isn't it i i i, I admit that there's things i don't know where but were I you in the first the... 400 years of the church's history? <laughs> you should have been there. <laughs> Sawing out Nicaea as they went to war over Just the Aryan controversy. <laughs> I'm not, and, and actually, genuinely, don't don't hear me say these things are not important. I, these things are really important. But I, I'm all right as a, as a getting on with my life believer in Jesus. I'm okay with not knowing everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, let's move it on then, because otherwise people think I mean, well, you've got I no authority to speak here. And maybe, and maybe you, <laughs> what Peter Peter gets it right. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. That's what matters. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And and I think your heart can be right on a Monday. At... <laughs> Although I, you've just dissed the heart, though, Jen. You you said it was yeah, just, a just a beating a, organ just a in your organ. Organ. <laughs> I just, Yeah, but that that's Peter's words. I was quoting them. It wasn't. I, I would always try and use another word for heart. I quite like heart. I, mean, I like heart. You don't like it. Makes me think of courage I think and lions. And I think it's because people say, "Ask Jesus into your heart." Okay. okay. And if you're a literal thinker, well, what, how or how and how could you possibly do that if it's an organ oh, in yeah. my chest that pumps blood around my body? You yeah. almost need two words for heart: yeah. a word for the physical and a word for the the idea of the inner self, don't you? Anyway, Jen, you've already alluded to this, but we've so we've seen Philip exercise this, you know, quite spectacular ministry there's mm. all sorts of things happening and then all of a sudden there's a change happens so in verse 26 um an angel of the lord another encounter with an angel says to philip go south to the road uh, the desert road so out to the the lonely place and he's taken to this really deserted back of nowhere place and yep. has this encounter um with the ethiopian eunuch yeah i love that book because i just 
it's just not how we function as mm-hmm. a church in the UK, is it? You know, you, <laughs> you're in the midst of an incredible revival and there's people becoming Christians and you're like, no, I'm, I'm going to go down the road to... I'm not going to name a place because <laughs> that just labels places, but I'm sure we can all imagine a local place that you wouldn't really want to go. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to leave all this and yeah, I just think it's so countercultural to what how we li- often live as Christians. They just like, you go off, you're told to go off to the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. so in the, but while in the midst of doing something amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's commercial craziness. Hmm. Why would you do yes. that? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to how we think of how God leads us, I think, as well, mm. doesn't it? Because I, I think we can fall into that thing of thinking we need to, you know, really be in, in a space of solitude and silence and listening for God's voice and, and then acting. But sometimes in the midst of the the, mm. the busyness and the, I mean, I suppose the triumph in some sense of what's going on in Samaria, God just speaks. Mm. God sends an angel and boom, he's away. Yeah. Get up and I'm go. Just, uh-huh, yeah. go. I'm yeah. just thinking what it practically might mean. I was thinking of being... Obviously, a, a huge part of my life over the years has been spent to issue holidays, leading them. You know, and there's so many things that you need to do and get done and the teaching of a bit of it and the worship and, you know, that could seem really important. But that, maybe if you just go for a walk down a certain bit of the campsite, you might meet the one person that you're meant mm-hmm. to have the conversation with mm-hmm. because you're sensitive to where you're meant to be at the right time. And that is, is so, it's so beautiful, isn't it? So he started out... And on his way, he met. And he meets this man. The eunuch. The, the Ethiopian eunuch. eunuch. Yeah. He's in, is he a, a Candace? How do you sell that? Or is it a Candace or Candace? Well, yeah, or can, Candique. Can, can, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm... Anyway, he's a double outsider. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because he's Ethiopian. So he's, he's a black man. He's African. Um, it's apparently Ethiopia was as south as you could possibly go for some people, wasn't it? Yeah, and he's a eunuch. So well, if they were coming from the north, presumably. Yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> what have read in the commentary? As south as you could possibly go if you're travelling from the north. Yeah. What? A, what? A, what a Eurocentric remark. What that a was. Eurocentric yeah. comment that was. <laughs> so he's very south. He's on. He's on somebody's extremity. But also, there's a verse in in Deuteronomy which says anybody who's has who's had who's been castrated cannot be included in the in the people of God and yet there he is he's been up to Jerusalem yeah. there's a mm-hmm. there's something going on mm-hmm. yeah i remember hearing somebody preach on this once and, and and really being struck by the the fact that he went all the way to Jerusalem knowing that he wouldn't be able to mm. enter into fully into the the, the ceremonies yeah he was still that's drawn. a real seeker isn't it that's yeah, a real yeah. seeker who's drawn and um <laughs> Jen, you were asking before we started about where he's got his his scroll. I suggested he'd been to the the bookstall. Yeah, I just I just thought that would be quite would that not be quite unusual? I mean, would the scrolls would be kept in local synagogues or in the temple? I mean, you, there wouldn't be someone at the temple that's like randomly handing out bits of he he has a chariot. He he has a chariot. He has wealth. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, I agree. You you wouldn't. In, in the, it would be in the synagogue they'd have it. He must have had means. But once again, this is someone who, A, is not only um, purchasing the scriptures when it's really, really hard to do, but he's also reading them out loud on the way home. Yes. In his chariot. Yes. Educated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's probably and not his would, first it, language. It would be in Hebrew. Mm. So we. He's, he's he's learned that as well. Well, yeah. well. Do we know that he's sorry? Sorry to interrupt, but does, do we know that he's br- got this the scroll in Jerusalem? Could he not have brought it with him? Yeah, yeah. But we do know it's in Hebrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was just. Uh-huh. Yeah, I suppose. It, yeah, it's a bit of an assumption. <laughs> it's, it's like he's he's picked up a it's a holiday. It's like so it might not be a souvenir. Ho- a souvenir from of his all holiday. the things I expected to argue about today, it was not. <laughs> Where did he get the scroll from? <laughs> oh, you were the one who talked about providence in your in your lovers, others. <laughs> so it's quite he's, quite, he's quite a man, though, isn't he? He really is. You know, he's he's a eunuch, and all that he's lived with, whether and whether that was from his childhood or as an adult, um, he's he's excluded, but he's educated, he's wealthy, he's. He's, but like this role he's got with the queen is quite mm. significant, isn't it? He's basically mm-hmm. running the country, mm-hmm. or running the the area, and, and he and he wants to know God, and he 
and he yeah. does he needs help uh, but he's also willing to say i need help yes he's he's like the opposite of simon yeah. the, the sorcerer yeah. isn't he yes who yeah. thought he had everything and and was grasping to keep it and this guy has got so much he's also got things that none of us would want but he's willing to say I don't understand this. I need help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again. Which also speaks to Philip's attitude as well. I think mm-hmm. it, you know because Philip doesn't sort of say, "Hi there, I'm Philip. I've just come <laughs> from Samaria, where I've been driving out demons and healing people and seeing these amazing things. Yeah. I've got a lot to offer." He asks the question, doesn't he? Mm. Yes, yeah, because he yeah. because the spirit has said to Philip, "Go over to the chariot and join it." He doesn't mm-hmm. turn up and go, "I'm here. I'm here. I have to get in." He's he uh-huh. says, "Do you understand what you're reading?" Uh huh. It's a question. Uh-huh. So he asks the question, "How can yeah. I help?" Doesn't he? Yeah. Mm, really. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't give and, his testimony. No, that's right. Yeah. And of course, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know that you'd be so tempted, wouldn't you? That's right. Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> Sit down there. That's right. That's no, all about. And that's what we're t- that's what we're taught often, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. As Christians, like when uh, teaching people to share the gospel, part of that is to be able to tell your testimony. Yeah, Rather yeah. than saying, How good are you asking questions? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yes, how 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 are you there? What what are you um, reading? What, what do you mean? Yeah. And and also, presumably Philip hears him speaking these words and mm. knows perfectly well, obviously he knows perfectly well what he's reading. So so he knows his Bible well enough to be able to say, Do you under, do you understand that? So he knows that by asking that question. So it's inter- what language is he speaking? Because it's Philip's first language, Greek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do know that, yeah. don't we? Or we know his name's Greek, don't we? And we know his name. Don't we? So his first language is Greek. He's talking to a guy who's Ethiopian, whose first language is probably Ethiopian. Both of them probably have to speak Greek and they're about to talk about uh, something that's happening in Hebrew. It's a good case for multilingualism here, it isn't is, it? It is, isn't it? Or maybe the Holy Spirit's at work. Maybe. Maybe. Well, and of course, the Holy Spirit is at work in as much as the, the particular passage that he's reading. Mm-hmm. Which is... And once again shows, Isaiah, so it's Isaiah 53, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. It once again shows what a critical passage that was in the, in the early church. And the question that we ask about that passage is often the same one that Philip asks. Who's, who's this about? Is it about, the, is it about the prophet himself? And, and Philip says, actually, it's about, well, ultimately, it's about Christ. Um, yeah, as an aside, that passage is really strange because it's written in the past tense. He bore our iniquities, but it's about something ultimately, which happens in the future. Mm-hmm. But I was reading a thing about Gallic prophets where they entered a world of seeing where the past, the future, and the, the present all merged into one and therefore a sense of time all changed. And in a sense, you could use the past tense to talk about something that was going to happen in the future. So that's what yeah. happens here. But this is such an important passage to the early church. Isaiah 53, I think I, I read one, I think just about every verse is quoted somewhere in the New Testament. Mm. Um, and here mm-hmm. it is pointing to, to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And isn't it lovely how Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus? Mm. You know, you wonder what other bits of Scripture that he used or other stories from the life mm. of Jesus. And yes. It would have been beautiful to be there. And, yes. and so often we think we have to, I think, with the Bible, we have to, like, try and make it into a message rather than just talking about the Bible, mm-hmm. which is what is it's so apt for our podcast. I know, I know it isn't the whole Bible. It wasn't the Bible because he didn't have the Bible. But in a sense, uh, that, that's what we do when we talk about the Bible. We're talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's all, that's all he does. He just shares the story. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it does speak, doesn't it, of how how scripture speaks to the context that it's being spoken in in the in the moment that mm. it's being spoken in, isn't it? So, so I'm just thinking about the verse thirty three. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Obviously, talking about Jesus, who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. You know the resonance for that man who is not welcomed in the temple mm-hmm. to hear that he is the descendant. Yeah, yeah. And also, he the, this man. The eunuch will not have any descendants mm-hmm. either. Correct. Yes. There's so much resonance. Yes, there's so much resonance in that, isn't there? Yeah. Issues of justice, issues of deprivation. Yeah, even the word humiliation, which appears yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
yeah so it does it does speak doesn't it of how god well, well i think it challenges me actually maybe we'll come back to maybe your takeaways but it challenges me to the fact that that god speaks through his word to people maybe before they we're we're engaged with them <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. you know what i mean by that yeah uh-huh. and god's at work in people beforehand oh yeah we had a guy join our um our church recently and his story was he was working in the Middle East and his life was in all sorts of chaos. And then he just heard a voice telling him to get out of here. And he went out at that moment. He went to, he was in a queue at the airport. He, some of his documentation wasn't quite right, but he was absolutely convinced it was the right thing. And he got waved through. And and like five years later, he joins the church, but it's, it's because he's still trying to make sense of that moment that happened to him, where which is the moment he would regard as his life completely changed. Yeah, gosh, interesting, interesting. And so he's baptized. Yeah, just there and then, instantly, side of the road. No faff. No, no, faff. no classes. <laughs> no <laughs> agreement at the Kirk session. <laughs> and then that's it for this encounter. He's snatched away. Uh-huh. Which I love. And John Stott doesn't like this as a miracle, does he? He just Well, he says it doesn't need to be a miracle. Doesn't, doesn't need to be yeah, Why? to assume it is a miracle. Well, it seems quite yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was trying to think of tra- miraculous transportations in the Bible. There are two I can think of. There's this one and the one that we talked about a while back when Jesus calms a storm and then the, the boat instantly moves to hmm. dry ground. I can't think of any others. Instant movements. Elijah runs. Do not have one in Elijah. Yeah, I was going to say, do Elijah gets Elijah taken Elijah? away though, to yeah. heaven, does he not? Uh-huh. Yeah, on chariots. Slightly different. Yeah. And Enoch, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But the, yeah, slightly different. And Jesus yeah. is good at the whole moving around after after his resurrection. It's true. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. There's that moment in the in the, the resurrection encounter as well, isn't there? That's right. Where yeah, he's in one place and then they run back to Jerusalem and he's already there. Yeah. He's been. Yes. Yes. Um, but it is this it's this phenomenal message, isn't it, of in, of inclusion of mm-hmm. somebody who would very much have been considered to be expected. and and pre predates the encounter with Cornelius that we'll come to yeah. in Acts ten. It predates the the conversation around um, gospel to the Gentiles and so on. Yeah. And and I mean hearsay would hearsay folklore, common understanding <laughs> would say that 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 man went back um, to Ethiopia and and you know was kind of seen as the founding figure within the church in Ethiopia which is amazing yeah he went yeah. in his way rejoicing yeah amazing absolutely amazing mm-hmm. anything else we want to say into this I'm just struck again I was reading the John Stock commentary on this just a passion for evangelism that he picks up on and, and this passage just says we have a word to share we've we've a mm-hmm. word to share and here is Philip has a particular penchant for the outsiders whether it's Samaritans or the, an Ethiopian eunuch but it, it's yeah, just that chat. I'm oh, sorry, mm. I'm getting into takeaway territory. That's your takeaway. Well, we can take that as your takeaway, actually. I'll have that as my right. takeaway. That's we great. We move yeah. to the outsiders. Although my other takeaway is what James yes. said about the heart. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Careful with your language. Yeah. <laughs> Jen, what's your takeaway? So many things. But I, I think Philip asking the question, just do, am I sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to know the right questions to ask at the right time? It's good. Mine is about the power of scripture. Hmm. Power that of was scripture my second one. People... Oh, okay. Well, we can we can share it between us. <laughs> yeah. Power of scripture to be uh, God to use scripture in in the not yet mm. um, fully believing. I've worded that carefully. Right. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Oh, I need to turn my lawyer. page. That's what's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> good with my good with my obfuscation. Um, Jen. What's the gen, Jen? What's the gen? Trying to keep up with reports, trends, research findings and the latest thoughts? No time to read or listen to all that valuable content? Look no further. What's the gen will keep you up to date, in touch and on the ball. What's the gen? Your guide to current thinking. Uh, a wee bit of research from the Literacy Trust, which is a England-based trust, um, titled Role Models and Influence on Children's Reading. Now, um... Apparently, in uh, 2009, 78% of 7 to 18-year-olds said that they had a role model. But in 2019, that had grown to 93% of that age group. So having role models is a big 
thing uh, for this age group of young people, children. Um, and encouragingly, I think, uh, the most popular role models are mums and dads. Mums mm. at 67% and dads at 60%. Um, and then you've got your YouTube influencers and stuff, but who are slightly, maybe hitting around about 40%, and particularly more for boys than for girls. Um, and 52% of those who they spoke to who had a role model said that if they saw their role model reading, that would make it okay for them to read. Mm. And this is this is not a Christian bit of research, but I think I think this is an encouragement. Uh, really, if you are if you're a role model, and maybe you don't think of yourself as a role model, you're a parent, a grandparent, maybe you are a influencer on social media, uh, maybe you're a youth worker, um, maybe you just know some children who are not your own children. Um, but if they see you reading the Bible, and and you've got that kind of relationship with them, that can be really significant. And I also made me think. Yeah, what if you're reading your Bible in your phone or some other digital device? We need to say to people, I'm, I'm actually reading my Bible. Uh-huh. Because the, these children and young people might not know that that's what you're doing um, because they might not always use a paper Bible. So it's an encouragement, really. I thought this, it's just a little bit of research um, about reading. But I thought for us, um, as as many listeners might be people of influence with young people, um, if just to see you reading, just to see me reading the Bible can have a big impact, impact on them thinking, oh, I could do that. And I may follow this up with some other bits of research because it's quite a complex thing, isn't it? Reading and yeah, if you struggle to read and how you read and digital yeah. stuff. But, yep. Interesting. That's, what a great piece of Jen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both very much again. And thank you to you listening for joining us. Next time, we'll be discussing Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 31. Join us then. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.